it's a reflection of just how we all think and what we do. In this business, there are times when you can take advantage of people and you really have to pay attention to the difference between taking advantage of people and doing real estate fundamentally correct. And sometimes those lines get a little blurry. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is show, well, it cuts out all the fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. Looking forward to our conversation today. We've got a previous best ever guest, episode 695. If you want to go here is best ever advice. But because today is Saturday, Happy Saturday, by the way, best ever listeners. Because it's Saturday, we're going to talk about a sticky situation that this best ever guest has been in, and he's going to walk us through how he handled it because, well, if we come across it, we don't want to have to go through all those pitfalls that he went through. We want the shortcut, baby. We want to know exactly what to do, and we're going to listen to this episode when we come across a situation like this, and we'll have a play-by-play guide for how to approach it. How you doing, Greg Bilbro? Joe, I'm doing great, man. Monday morning, ready to rock and roll. I like Monday mornings. Yeah, well, today is Saturday. In this situation, <laughs> today is situation Saturday. So, you know, best ever listener, you get a glimpse into my life as a podcaster where for Situation Saturday, I have to record it. I don't want to record it on a Saturday. I got fun things to do. I record it all throughout the week and then I plug it in for later. And sometimes the guest forgets that it's supposed to be Saturday and we're playing in pretend land. But everything else, we will stick straight to fact. How about that? With that being said, Greg, you want to give the best ever listeners just a little bit about your background. Yeah, happy to. I got a degree in biochemistry in college, was going to go to med school, didn't do that, went into business. I went into insurance and financial planning for about nine years with a Fortune 100 company, left that industry and became full-time real estate, I believe in 08. 
And really, I first got into the fix and flip business, and I was not a licensed agent. And I did fix and flip for a few years and then sort of uh, morphed into a wholesaler. It just became something that I was more passionate about, I think better at it as well, and then eventually got my license. So now I'm a full-time realtor, wholesaler, and fix and flipper, and also building a piece of software that I've mentioned before called Flip Tracking, which is a data aggregator that tells us where the best places to flip houses are to drive ROI. So working on a lot of projects. All right. Well, let's talk about this situation you're in and how you handled it. Tell us the story on it. Joe, the best ever listeners, if they ever find themselves in this situation, they should maybe just turn around and run. Sometimes these deals, you approach them and everything seems calm waters as you're approaching it. And then just one wrinkle after another, after another, after another. And before you know it, I mean, you blink. And now there's a dozen complexities, half of which you don't understand, half you're working on. And it just one of those things that it unravels real quickly. So here's the background. Um, I brought on a sales guy named Dave, who's fantastic. He is extremely sharp. He's as good at this business as I am, if not better. He's been doing it for 30 years. And he had a business partner named CR, the letter CR. So Dave and CR, a couple years ago, went to some seminar. I think the seminar was on assisted living facilities or privatized uh, retirement homes. I think that was what happened. So they met there. They did the seminar, probably like an expensive weekend boot camp. And then nothing really came about it. I think they did marketing. They sent marketing out, but I don't know if much really happened. Well, then fast forward a year or two after that seminar, which places us about six months ago, Dave gets a call out of the blue. And it was from a assisted living facility owner who had said basically, hey, I got your marketing a year and a half ago. I've kept it, and now I'm ready to sell. So it kind of fell from the sky. The take home there is marketing does work, follow-up does work, and when you send mail pieces, which I don't do much of, but when you do that, people do sometimes stick that on the fridge, then they come full circle when they're ready and they'll call you. So Dave did a good job, obviously, by not being a pressure guy a couple years ago and just did the right things for the right reasons that resonated with the seller. So Dave gets the call, and right about this time, maybe six months ago, Dave and I had just started working together. I'm expanding my business and scaling from a solopreneur to building a sales staff and trying to scale and approaching going national into some other states as well. But Dave and I were new to each other and kind of feeling each other out. And he's so smart, knows so much that there was just so much to learn from him. So we're really having a good time kind of getting to know each other. He brought in this lead and basically said, hey, do you think we can wholesale this? And I said, well, what are the numbers? So we talked about this assisted living facility for a while. It's a 10-bed assisted living facility that generates about $334,000 of revenue a year. It's an immaculate condition. This is actually an asset because it's a physical house of 3,600 feet with 10 beds that are all licensed, but it's also an operating business. So there's like cash flows and P&Ls and employees and nurses and patients for that matter. So I say that because this is certainly not something I see every day. I've not worked on many assisted living facilities. There are few and far between. I've worked on a couple, but never really transacted one. So this was a really good opportunity for us. So Dave had gone out to the seller, and apparently the seller was dying of cancer. So I guess that's why her life had changed. She wanted to sell it, and because of her perception of her lifespan being short, I don't know, 30 or 60 or 90 days, she said, I want to get the money first, really quick. I want it to be cash where there's no contingencies. 
because I got to get the money back home to my son in Romania. And I want to take care of all that before she expired. So that was her motivation. That obviously just kind of played into us because we could do that. So Dave went out there, and some of this stuff, Joe, I'm going to tell you, is a little bit fuzzy for me because I was not the guy directly in the foxhole in the negotiations. I was by proxy kind of one step removed and supporting and aiding and helping as best I could yep. and adding value when I could. But being a good leader, sometimes you just have to get the heck out of the way and let other people do what they know how to do and deliver their expertise. And so that was this case. Dave went out there and made an offer, I want to say, for $420,000 and got a memorandum of option and recorded it. The reason why that's important, if uh, the best ever listeners are familiar, if you record those docs, that's a cloud on title, which basically securitizes your position. In other words, if the house is ever going to transact, you've got to remove all clouds. Well, if you're a cloud, that means you get a call one day if anything goes sideways. So that was smart on his part. And to record anything, it's got to be original and ink and notarized. So you can't just do it with the quick DocuSign stuff. So we tied it up, I think, at 420, got a ton of pictures, understood the business. There was an MAI appraisal that was less than 30 days old for $650,000. The place was immaculate. The thing ran like a top, and the patients and the cash flow, all fantastic, but it was starting to wane. The seller had ran this 10-bed facility at full capacity for, I guess, years, uh, essentially with perfect occupancy. But as her sickness grew... Now there was a nine-bed facility, and then it went to eight, and then it went to seven, and then six. So you could tell the distress was starting to happen, and it was just her inability to be at work. I mean, she was fighting cancer and sick. So we tied it up, and I started to market to my buyer's list. And it, within, I guess, a couple of days, we had maybe a half a dozen interested parties, two guys of which were showing real signs of interest. We pushed it out to our cash buyer's list at 495 so we created a gross spread of about $75,000 that the three of us were going to split. So, so far, so good. We opened escrow at Chicago Title, and as the lady got sicker, we realized that we needed to have some more docs done. So Dave actually convinced the Chicago Title lady to leave her office, which she did, drive over to the assisted living facility, which is across town, sit with her, bring the docs, prepare it all, and walk through everything with her and get the live signatures just because we were really starting to worry about the time. Her health deteriorated kind of right in front of us, like over the 10 or 20 days. So the title lady went there, I think on a Monday, and got all those docs signed. And let me back up. And then we found a buyer. We put him in escrow. The buyer was in love with this facility. He thinks the future is assisted living facilities, and which I somewhat agree with him with the baby boomers aging and privatization. I think they're going to spring up everywhere, and they already are. You put $10,000 of non-refundable earnest money in escrow with, I think, about a two-week close. But we were starting to worry that this lady could actually expire in between those dates. And that's a key because that's exactly what happened. On Monday, we got all the docs signed and had our buyer in escrow with non-refundable. And on Wednesday, I think at about 4 or 5 p.m., she passed away, and our close of escrow date was the next morning at 9 o'clock. Wow. So um, I had never really had a seller die on me in this regard. And a lot of times, I think most best ever listeners are thinking, oh, it becomes a probate deal. It does become a probate deal, but holy cow, there was just hair at every turn. So here's where some of that stuff started to pop up. She had called her son to fly in from Romania 
that Wednesday. So he was on like a 10 or 20 hour flight on the way to the United States. And she passed away about two or three hours before he landed here in Arizona. So he landed to had my mom had passed away and obviously was not aware that that was what was going on. There was already another son here in town and son number one was from Romania flying in. Son number two was here. One of the things Dave had done trying to mitigate future risk is he went and got a beneficial deed recorded. I'm sorry, let me back up. The son had a beneficial deed recorded about a year and a half earlier. Now, we didn't know that, but that changes some of the complexity of a probate case. All the while, our buyer, we find out, doesn't have the money. He somewhat reported that he did or led us to believe that he had the ability to fund and close. And then he's asking us, well, do you guys have a different hard money lender? So we had to scramble inside 24 hours. This was on the Monday that we got those docs signed, trying to get a hard money lender, which we did in 24 hours. The next day, we had a yes from our lender. And the next day after that, we had uh, an attorney basically work overnight to draft like 100 pages of docs to securitize the lender's interest. You have to remember, it's an asset. So liens are one thing, but there's also, I think it's called uh, UCC filings. And UCC filings are like a lien on a non real estate entity like the beds and the computers and the desks and the chairs and even the accounts receivable. So it was a little bit more complicated than just a little lean. So the buyer didn't really have the ability to fund. We figured that out. The lady dies on Wednesday. And of course, we're going to close on Tuesday. And what also had happened at the same time, if the best ever listeners are familiar, there's an acronym called FERPTA. I forget what FERPTA stands for, but basically it's when foreign entity or owner is the seller. And in this case, the son, because of beneficial interest at mom's passing, became the seller and he lives in Romania. So now we have a whole nother new layer (laughs) of tax law and complexity and another attorney. And as we all know, every time you throw a new attorney into the mix, not throwing them under the bus, but it's just complicated. There's just a zillion new rules that you got to figure out. So the son had hired an attorney to try to figure out what was going on and what his interests are. And we were pushing for the fact that, hey, your mom signed everything. She was of sound mind. Dave was very careful about that. In a real estate contract, you have to have a person signing of sound mind and not under duress. Dave had actually took the main nurse of the house and I think somebody else's husband, who was also a medical staffer, and took both of them to the meeting as witnesses for signatures. So Dave really wanted to cover his butt, very smart on his part, thinking ahead, in advance of that. So now we're dealing with the son of which we didn't have a relationship with. And the son starts to take the position, well, why would mom sell this $650,000 asset for $420,000? We had to kind of explain to him, hey, we're cash, we're quick close, no contingencies, no realtors. That's how the wholesale game works. This was actually the only way to get your mom what she wanted, which was cash before she expired. If you'd listed with a realtor, it's a six month or a 12 month turn. So that just didn't make sense at the time. Okay, any questions so far, Joe? I know. <laughs> no, I, I just keep on rolling. Keep on, keep on bringing the challenges and keep on knocking them down. Yeah, okay. So I think Sun 1 had flown in town and Sun 2 had already lived in town. I guess Sun 1 was a military guy. And so he wasn't allowed to be in the United States for a period of time. Dave had told me he would be considered AWOL, which I guess is a big rule that you break in the military, if you're absent, you get obviously in big trouble. So we had to pressure this new guy who's also going through the FERPTA laws and probate attorneys 
And he's also basically saying, I have to get out of here. So that means we can't talk to him and shake hands and figure this whole thing out. The attorney that had wrote the hard money loan documents, he was fantastic. His name was Mike, and he had docs done basically overnight. But his fee was about, I think, 1250 bucks. And so this was kind of a new fee in the last minute. It's a day or two before. And, of course, nobody wants to pay it. Everybody feels that they've been extended. So I, as being the nice guy, said, look, I'll pay half. I just want to get the deal done. That turned out to be a mistake in the end. I kind of got suckered into that, just trying to grease the wheels, which I understand why I did it at the time. But now I got stuck with a $650 bill, and the deal isn't closing as of yet. Long story short, uh, everybody tried to put pressure on everybody to perform. But the son kind of put his foot in the ground and just said, look, I want to rethink things or what have you. And so now, as it sits today, there are three attorneys working on probate, FERPTA, and a potential lawsuit with their buyer, where he's trying to essentially force the hand. There's a thing called specific performance, where if you sign a contract, the seller is obligated to perform upon that contract. And I'm not exactly sure if this is a specific performance case, but I know that that term had been brought up, trying to get the contract, which was signed of sound mind, to get the deal done. What else was complicated about this? There was another person in town who was related to the family. She was a friend of the family, also from Romania. And I don't know why or how, but she started to just take over the operating business. And so this was key because if you think about it, 10 beds became nine, eight, seven, six. And so the cash flow drops commensurately. And so a cash buyer starts to lose his interest, although he's obligated $10,000 in honor fund for earnest money in a contract. But she took it upon herself to basically implant herself in operations because you have to remember, we're losing sight of the big picture. There's patients that are sick in a facility not getting care. And that was, above all, that's got to be the most important thing. These are people's grandmothers and such that need 24-7 care. And when the owner died, as you could imagine, operations tend to go sideways a little bit. So this lady came in, and I don't really know how or why, but she started to kind of swing her weight around and also create new complexity, saying that she's owed money or she's owed this or she's done this much work and therefore she should be part of the deal. And she just was like another firecracker in the mix that just didn't make sense and obviously was lobbying for her position. As it sits today, though, what we think is going to happen is the buyer with his lawsuit is going to be able to get the seller to perform We had signed contracts, not in duress, and we had a memorandum of option, which was recorded, which is a permanent cloud. I mean, nobody can do anything with this facility unless they go through us. And we actually just think it's going to be a matter of time. I spoke with Dave this morning about it, and he says it's a done deal. It's just a matter of time. The attorneys just have to basically settle some of their little docs and disputes, and the court will make it happen. And if that all goes down... I think the three of us will make about 36000 bucks, which is 12 apiece. Mm. Um, what's interesting about that is we tied it up, if you remember, for 420 We pushed it at 495 which is 75 k delta. We ended up going to contract with our buyer at 490 a little bit of negotiation there. So now we have a 70 k gross spread. One of the things Dave did, which is just so cool, it's part of our culture, and it's interesting, it's not only part of our culture, but Dave just sort of did this on his own which really just brought a smile to my face. He told the seller, look, I know you're sick and old. We're going to do everything we can to make this happen. And if we end up bringing a higher cash buyer than what we project, 
I, the buyer, Dave in this case, will give you, the seller, a little bit of extra money back in some undefined term. In other words, if we overperform, we'll give you some more money. We'll adjust the purchase price. Well, that's exactly what happened. Dave didn't know we'd bring a buyer that would create a 70K gross spread. He was thinking, I don't know, 30 or 40. And so when he brought a bigger spread, Dave actually went back to the seller when that was solidified and said, hey, we're going to adjust the price up $20,000 in your favor just because it's the right thing to do. It's what we said, and we know it makes a difference. So he just took that upon his own will and accord and made that happen. And it's a reflection of just how we all think and what we do. In this business, there are times when you can take advantage of people, and you really have to pay attention to the difference between taking advantage of people and doing real estate fundamentally correct. And sometimes those lines get a little blurry. In this case, we were not blurred at all. We knew exactly what we were doing and realized that, hey, we did overperform. It was the right thing to do. It was a show of good faith, but we didn't care what it looked like. We just wanted the seller to have more money because that's what we said we would do. If there was a spread of 75000 then a buyer negotiated to four ninety, which then was 70000 then he went back and increased what you were giving the seller. How did each of you make 36k cuz my math it's less than 70,000 at this point because you've increased the purchase price by 20,000. It's a good question. I actually don't know exactly where the math pencils. I know we're ending up the way we sit today. It's a $36,000 spread which is 12k for three guys. Oh, 36,000 um, total. Okay, I thought everyone I thought everyone was getting 36,000. 36,000 total. Okay, I'm with you. That makes sense then. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's plenty of money in there then for that math. Another interesting wrinkle to this, you have to keep in mind as a small business owner, I'm actually trying to function and lead a company by proxy through another new individual. So, of course, there's you're getting to know people, what do they know, what do they not know, what are their motivations. And Dave just did an impeccable job, start to finish. He just was a leader, did the right thing at every turn, didn't even need to ask me anything. I mean, he just knew what was right. And we're, I'm fortunate that him and I, have that same sort of page in our book that it's just the right thing to do for the right reasons. So I think when he went and negotiated with the seller to give her more money, I think it was about 20, but it might have been like 22 or 25 or something like that. I'm not sure. Well, this definitely was, (laughs) uh, my gosh, so many different twists and turns, lots of different things that jumped out at you all. What period of time did this deal transpire over? It was probably from the day we got the contract to the day that she died was probably 15 or 20 days or something like that. And then after that, the little debacle after her death, we probably really worked hard on it for another couple weeks, I would assume. And then once it's in the hands of the attorney, we just said, okay, you do your thing, you know, call us when you're, <laughs> when you figured it all out, which we have full confidence that they will. Okay. You just have to put to bed, right? You can't sit there and belabor it. You did your job. We did the best you could. We used as much expertise as we could, and we did the right things at every turn. But there's a point where you have to pay attention to your time and your energy. Mm-hmm. And so we just said, look, we pushed this ball down the court as much as we can. This is now in other professionals' hands. And right away, I mean, the next day at the office, we're on to the next deal and looking for new opportunities and just managing our time. Well, where can the best ever listeners learn more about you and get in contact with you? You could always visit fliptracking.com. Those emails go directly to me. We're building a network at fliptracking.com, so you could, of course, get a hold of me. Our other wholesale brand that we have for buyers is called FAIR, 
propertybuyers.com. And I say that on purpose, right? We're fair guys. We're, we're in the business to make money. But when we are faced with some of those blurry lines, we make sure to err on the side of caution and do the right thing for other people. So fairpropertybuyers.com, you can definitely get a hold of me that way. Well, Greg, thank you for sharing this very uh, multi-pronged situation where you had foreign buyers, you had the seller pass away, you had the buyer who initially said he had financing lined up but then didn't, and then you had to scramble. And then a completely different business model too that you weren't used to. So there's just a learning curve. It's not like this was a straightforward single family home or something that you could do in your sleep. This was a brand new type of investment as well as its own operating budget and entities and different pieces. And as you said, most importantly, I mean, you had patients in there and you got to make sure that they're taken care of because they need to be, period. So really how you've handled it so far, I'm anxious to hear how this goes. Sounds like you got everything lined up from a legal standpoint. It's just a matter of people having common sense and then completing the transaction. We'll let this show that go live and then perhaps once it closes, you can go to the show notes page on my website and just comment in the post underneath and just give the final chapter to the story because I think the best ever listeners would appreciate that. Yeah, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. Didn't do that on purpose, but you're right. It is a bit of a cliffhanger, but I'm pretty darn confident that this thing's going to pan out. So I'm happy to adjust uh, show notes when ready. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a best ever weekend, Greg, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. 